0: My name's Heidi, and I love stories. Funny stories, sad stories, and what on earth just happened stories? As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. After two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready, this is Messy Scripture. Shock of shocks, Israel's following other gods, and God hands them over to another king, who oppresses them for twenty-some-odd years. This time it's King Jabin, King of Canaan, And uh, he has a general named Sisera, who's going to be the primary player in this particular episode. And because Sisera has a pretty substantial chariot army, about 900 chariots of iron, which are, you know, real big, powerful weapons for this era. You know, kind of like the equivalent of 900 tanks. uh, Yeah, Canaan is effectively suppressing Israel. This goes on for 20 years. And Israel finally uh, calls out to God who sends them a judge. Now this judge is a prophetess prophetess prophet lady. Her name is Deborah, and while she is married, that is just about all we know about her husband, she judges Israel under the palm of Deborah, I'm assuming it's named after her, and also prophesies there. Eventually she summons a man named Barak to her, And she points out to him that God has already told him that he should assemble an army of 10,000 men because he's going to drive out Sisera and Jabin. And Barak is like, I will go to war if you will go with me. But if you will not go with me, I will not go to war. And Deborah's like, all right, but just understand that Sisera will fall into the hands of a woman and not you. So you won't get much credit for this, but uh, you will still be victorious if I go with you. And Barak's like, absolutely. Sounds great. Let's do it. So they put together their army and Sisera's army is drawn out, just like God had told Barak and Deborah that it would be, and they fight. Israel's army was encamped on Mount Tabor, and when Deborah saw the army of Sisera, all 900 chariots, plus infantry, down below, she tells Barak, like, is this not the opportunity you were waiting for? Go, 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 go. Go fight now. God has given them into your hand. And Barak's like, oh, yeah. So he rushes down the mountain, and he just straight up routs them. Not a single man survives, except for Sisera who runs. He flees on foot uh, as far as the tent of Heber the Kenite. The Kenites were descendants of Moses's father-in-law, so they weren't exactly Israelites, but they weren't like super distant. Anyway, Haber was, and so Sisera makes it all the way to his tent and runs into his wife. Her name is Jael. Sisera sees this pretty lady in the tent and is like, please protect me. Give me something to drink. I'm so thirsty. Give me some water. And she gives him some milk. It might be an innuendo. It's not entirely clear. We'll get to that. Anyway, she gives him something to drink, and he's like, if anybody asks, if anyone is here, just say no. And she's like, absolutely, my lord. Lay down. Get comfy. And he falls asleep in the tent. At this point, Jael takes matters into her own hands, quite literally, and grabs a tent peg and a hammer. And with Sisera comfy and sleeping... Just worn out to the bone, she drives the tent peg into his temple and nails him to the ground. I mean, it cannot get more badass than that. Finally, Barack catches up and is like, Hey, have you seen Sisera? And she's like, Oh, yes, I have. In fact, if you come with me into my tent, I'll show you the man that you're looking for. So Barack follows Jael into the tent, and there is Sisera, nailed to the ground with a tent peg through his temple. That was the day that Jabin, king of Canaan, was pretty much defeated as a threat to Israel. And Israel, during Deborah's lifetime, continued to press against Jabin to the point that they were able to destroy him and his army. The king of Canaan was no longer a threat to any version of Israel. At this point, in good biblical fashion, Deborah and Barak have a musical number. And they sing about the victory that God has given. This song covers... Shamar, the song covers Barak and Deborah, but best of all, this song covers Jael, who I'm going to read some of the lines from their song in translation, obviously, because, oh my word, it makes it sound real sexual once you hear the song. He asked water and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Das not that sexy. Between her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet, he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. There's something kind of like... A little bit... Anyway, that's just really cool. In any case, after the victory of Deborah Barak in jail, where they defeated Sisera and pushed Jabin, king of Canaan, all the way out of the picture, Israel had peace for another 40 years. Of course, after the 40 years of peace... They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is a sentence that's repeated in Judges basically at the start of every new judge. And this time God hands them over to Midian. Midian is definitely the worst oppressor so far. Like they seize all of Israel's weapons and they seize all of their food. Like anytime the harvest comes, the food supply is just taken away from Israel. And it's a real bad situation. When Israel cries out to God for help, you know, like they do, this time God actually answers and is like, you know, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you away from the hands of the Egyptians. I delivered you from those that oppressed you. I said I would be your God and that you would not follow the gods of the Amorites. And you agreed, but you have not obeyed that. You have not obeyed me. But Israel keeps crying out, both in repentance and for help, and God shows them mercy. He sends an angel to a man named Gideon, who can be found at the bottom of a wine press threshing grain. Some people might take this as cowardice, but it's also a small act of rebellion. After all, he's not supposed to be threshing grain at all. He's supposed to be handing all of it over to Midian. Yes, he's hiding at the bottom of a wine press, but he's also keeping the food supply going. So, I mean, really, who's the winner here? And the angel sees Gideon and calls out to him, calls him a mighty man of valor, which is like, okay, you got to picture Gideon's way down in this hole, threshing grain in secret. And the angel is like, you brave, brave man. And Gideon's like, I think you might be in the wrong house. I think you're looking down the wrong wine press. But the angel had said that God was with him. So Gideon, you know, inquires if God's with us, then why has all this happened? Like, why are we being oppressed again? And the angel's like, well, the deal was that you guys would follow God and you know this is happening. More importantly, you're going to be the one that frees them from oppression, Gideon, and Gideon's like you are definitely looking down the wrong wine press. My clan is the smallest clan in my tribe and I am the youngest member of my family, so like I don't think you know what you're doing. And the angel is like, "I think I do." I I I think I do. God is with you, Gideon, and you are going to strike down the Midianites. And Gideon's like, okay, well, if, if God is really with me, I need you to just sit right here and not move a muscle. So the angel does. What? Okay. He prepares a young goat and some unleavened cakes and some flour and some broth and sets it before the angel. And the angel's like, okay, take the meat and stuff, put it on this rock, pour the broth on top of it. And then whoosh, he lights it on spontaneous fire. And Gideon's like, okay, God is really definitely with us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Cool, 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 cool. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. But he still has lots of doubts. He's freaking out because he's seen God face to face and the angel of the Lord is like, "Don't worry, man. I'm not going to kill you." See, the angel of the Lord, you might remember, is what we call a theophany and appearance of Jesus before like Jesus was a human being. And so Gideon has seen him and the angel's like, "Don't don't worry about it, man. It's fine. You're still going to de- deliver Israel from Midian though." First off, make some sacrifices to God and fix the altar problem that's happening in your house. So Gideon builds an altar to the Lord and sacrifices some bulls on it, but then he also, in the middle of the night, destroys the local altar of Baal. This is another one of those things that Gideon does that it's like, mm, it's not the bravest way to do it, but he did actually follow through and do it, which is like, props to Gideon. He destroys the altar of Baal, and when the men of the town wake up and realize that somebody has destroyed the Town altar. They're like, who did this? And they figure out who it was and they go to his dad and they're like, we're going to kill your son because he destroyed the altar of Baal. Think about that. Israel is so far gone from what they promised they would do that a town is going to kill someone for destroying an altar to a god they were not supposed to be worshiping anyway. And the dad is like, you know, I see that all of you are upset. What I don't see is Baal. Baal doesn't appear to be here to defend his own altar. So why don't we let Baal deal with this? Like, if Baal's upset and able to do something about it, Baal will deal with it. And that's how Gideon got a second name, Jerubal, which means let Baal contend against him. Like, as in, let Baal deal with his own problems. At this point, the spirit of God comes upon Gideon and he summons an army. The army contains the Abizarites, Manasseh, Naphtali, Asher, and Zebulun. They all go out to meet him. Gideon's also still freaking out. So he asks God to give him a sign. He's like, this is a big commitment. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to leave a fleece on the ground, like some wool. And if it's wet in the morning, but the ground is dry, I'll know that you're doing this. And the angel of the Lord is like, okay, happens. Gideon wrings an entire bowl of water out of this fleece, but the entire ground is dry. If you've ever seen wool, you know that there is absolutely no way that wool doesn't like soak up water that's out but it also like does drip so Gideon wants to be just triple dog dare you sure and so he tells the angel that he would like to see the sign again in reverse this time he's going to leave the fleece on the ground and if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet he'll be 100 percent sure that God is with them and the angel agrees see Gideon's not just like testing God to see if God will show up Gideon's testing God to see if God will show up and there's a difference in tone and an attitude to that. So he leaves the fleece and this time the fleece is totally dry and the ground is wet. That is not how wool works. So clearly this was God and Gideon has the confidence that he needs to go out and fight Midian. Gideon versus Midian. Hey, I'm just happy I got to say that out loud. Gideon leads his army, which at this point numbers about 32,000 men, out to where they are going to fight Midian, and God is like, there are too many people with you. At this point, it is too fair, and it will be unclear to Israel that I had anything to do with this. It will seem like it's all you, so announce to your army that anyone is who is afraid, who is trembling, who is nervous, can go home. No harm, no foul. 22,000 of the 32,000 go home, and now there are only 10,000 men left. And the Lord is like, there are still too many. So here's what I want you to do. Take them all down to a river. Tell them all to get a drink. Separate the people who drink by kneeling and cupping their hands from the people who lap up the water with their tongues, kind of like a dog, and we'll see what we see. Turns out about 300 men drink water the weird way, and the rest of the army, all 9,700 of them, cup the water with their hands. You will guess which group God sent home. He sent home the big one. So now there are 300 men with Gideon, and he is going to fight the entire army of Midian, which is not anywhere close to 300 men. It is a much bigger army. Gideon's army encamps above the army of Midian, which is spread out below them in a valley. And once again, Gideon gets cold feet. So he and a buddy sneak down into the Midianites' army to kind of see how things are going. And the army's pretty big. As it's described, it looks like sand on a seashore, like they can't count the tents. It's also not that hard for Gideon to sneak in, and he overhears someone telling his dream to a buddy. Person one dreams that a barley cake rolls down, hits a tent, and the tent falls over flat. That's ridiculous. Like, for those of us who don't understand what that would look like, that's like imagine a full assembled tent that several people could sleep in getting knocked over by like a pumpkin pie. It's not how things work. And the other guy responds like, this is definitely a sign that the hand of Gideon is going to defeat us because God has handed the Midianite army into the hand of Gideon. And Gideon's like, well, then he tells all of his men to take a trumpet, a torch and a jar They're to light the torches, but then cover them with the jars and hold on to the trumpets. And at the signal, they're going to blow their trumpets, smash their jars, expose their torches and scream for God and for Gideon. They surround the Midianite camp. Spread very thin. Keep in mind, there are 300 of them and this army is seashore sand equivalent. And at the signal, they all blow their trumpets, smash their jars, making an immense noise and expose their lights and scream for God and for Gideon. And the Midianites get so confused that they begin to attack each other, them and their allies. Pretty much, they do all the work for them. Israel's army pursues the Midianites and their allies until every last one of them is killed. That's right, Gideon has just delivered Israel from Midian. Gideon's army is in pursuit of the kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmunna, and a couple places, Penuel and Succoth, refuse to help Gideon's army because they're exhausted and they don't want to get involved. Gideon makes a promise to come back and get his vengeance, but first he captures the kings, kills them, and then he goes back and gets his vengeance, breaking down the tower of Penuel and also, like, flailing the lords of Succoth. At some point, because Gideon has really toughened up, the men of Israel ask him to become their ruler. You and your son and your grandson. And Gideon's like, I don't think that I will do that. I will not be your ruler. However, he did ask them that all the men give just their earrings of the spoil to him. You know, Ishmaelites, there's a lot of earrings. So they do that and Gideon makes himself an ephod. The ephod was something that the priests were supposed to wear and and it wasn't, so much like mystical in one sense it wasn't the ephod that had the power it was a way that god communicated with israel and gideon made himself one and it became a huge problem like the people of israel worshipped gideon's ephod instead of worshiping god and instead of actually dealing with the real priesthood that being said gideon did buy peace for israel for 40 years during his lifetime Back when Joshua was alive, the people of Israel followed all through Joshua's life and through the life of everyone that had been alive during Joshua's life. That doesn't happen here. As soon as Gideon's dead, Israel's back to following the Baals, back to following Asherah, back to doing everything wrong, in part because Gideon had flirted with idol worship, but in part because Israel is slowly having lower lows, like their bad condition is much worse than it used to be. Things are getting worse, as you may have noticed, But things are still going to get better. The cycle of judges is going to continue with conspiracies and prostitutes and Fabio-like hair. I will catch you next episode.